Jesus describes his kingdom coming in three different ways. He describes it like a bright light that can't be ignored. He describes it like a seed growing mysteriously without our intervention. And lastly, he describes it as a king, a kingdom that starts in obscurity and ends in glory. And so if you're here this morning, the thrust of all of these images is telling us is that Jesus' kingdom is coming. It doesn't always look like it in the world around us. It doesn't always look like it in our hearts. It doesn't always look like Jesus' rule and his grace and mercy are coming to bear when we read the news or watch the news. But the assurance of this passage is that his kingdom is coming and will come. Let me read for us from Matthew 4, starting in verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder, Lord, of what is true and what is good. Lord, our heart can manufacture all sorts of things. Uh, Lord, many of them are false. And so we ask this morning that regardless of what we're coming into this room with, what we're coming into this room believing about the world or about ourselves, that you would recalibrate us and remold us by your truth and by your word. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. In that book I mentioned, The Man in the High Castle, those reels uh, that were portraying and showing footage of life under a different ruler uh, were, were banned. Uh, when, when the rulers of the Nazi and the Bureau of heard about those, obviously those were not things they wanted to disseminate. They were confused by them, but they sought to squash them out because they were a threat to their kingdom. They undermined their kingdom. 
And in the same way, when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, he's telling it in such a way that it exposes our kingdoms. For, for one, is that it, it's his kingdom. It's an everlasting kingdom that will outlast the kingdoms of this world. But also, it, it's a better kingdom. The, the kingdoms we prop up for ourselves, we, we love. We, we love uh, the exalt the proud. We exalt the arrogant. We exalt those who condescend. And Jesus comes proclaiming a kingdom where meekness is exalted. Where humility is the standard. We love hoarding wealth, hoarding power. Jesus comes as a king who is mighty and powerful. But not hoarding power, but one who seeks to actually use his power to bless and to empower others and to heal and restore. And in all of this, this king is coming and exposing the kingdoms of this world. And you see that even in the passage we just read. The first way he describes the kingdom coming, the first way he describes himself coming is like a lamb. That first verse, verse 21, is, it's, it's hard to, to translate because it literally says, the lamp comes in. Jesus is saying, I am the lamp. Some of the images he'll use in other places are words that are used to describe him. He's the light of the world. He's the light shining in the darkness. And Jesus is coming as a light. A light that exposes. When Jesus is speaking, your light is not a cheap commodity. It wasn't, it wasn't like everyone had access to light. And so if you had light, uh, you used it properly. And in the proper place to put a lamp, you know, in your home or in a tent, would be to put it somewhere up high uh, so that you could see, so you could get the main benefit of it. And, and part of what that allowed it to do is to expose the dark areas. And Jesus is saying, he's coming like that. He's coming as a light. And one of the things light does is it exposes. It exposes some things that we need to see. And some of those things we'll be glad to see. And other of those things are maybe things about us and things about this world that are actually not great. But that need to be exposed. I don't know if you've looked underneath your house recently or underneath your fridge. Uh, we moved into a house a year and a half ago. We were told the fridge was like 10 years old or 11 years old. And something went under our fridge a few weeks ago. And I pulled it out. I pulled out the fridge. I realized, I don't think this fridge had been pulled out since it was installed. And there were things underneath there that I really did not want to see. And that were probably emanating and circulating particles that I didn't need to be breathing in. Uh, but it was very good that I shone a light on that area. It needed to be dealt with. It needed to be exploded. It needed to be exposed. It needed to be healed. And Jesus is saying, he's like that. He's coming to expose the evil and the sin in this world and in our hearts. But what else does light do? Light doesn't just expose. You, you think about this culture in which Jesus is speaking. It's very dark. Not, not dark spiritually, but there's certainly elements of that, but just dark at night. 
it was really dark. I don't even camping recently, but like when the fire goes out and if you're away from like artificial lighting, it's crazy how dark it can get. And so light in this culture was also a great source of peace and security. You know, if you can see at night, maybe even 10 or 12 feet, that would calm a lot of fears. And if you had multiple lamps, uh, that would give you a sense of security so you knew what was around you, you knew what was not around you. Jesus said he's, he's coming like that, he's coming to expose, but he's also coming like a light that will bring peace and security. He even see that throughout Jesus' ministry. He, he comes to restore, he comes to bring peace to people who are anxious. In the passage right after this, you see Jesus calling the storm for his disciples who are terrified. Right after that, you see him healing a man who is possessed by a demon, living among tombs. Jesus heals him. He's like a light, exposing, bringing heat, peace, bringing security. And so in light of that, he says in verse 23, this thing that Jesus said is actually defeatedly. He says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And then verse 24, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And Jesus is saying a lot right there. One is he's saying, if you have ears to hear, hear. Pay attention to what you are hearing. He's reminding us that, that, that part of living life in this kingdom, a major part of living life in this kingdom, is one of listening, one of hearing. And Jesus, as he's speaking, is saying, pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention to what you hear Jesus saying. What do you hear Jesus saying? Like, 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 what does that mean? Obviously, they're hearing, they're hearing Jesus teach. And so he's saying, hey, pay attention to what I'm saying. What are the ways we hear Jesus? There's lots of ways. He's given us his word. How is Jesus speaking to you through his word? What are verses maybe we've even read or saying this morning that prick your heart? Either with conviction of sin, maybe we've sung something or confessed something that's exposed sin in your heart. Jesus is saying, pay attention to that. Or, or, or maybe God's blessed you with a friend who's not afraid to speak the truth in love to you. Jesus is saying, listen, pay attention. Don't ignore that. And it's, it's really interesting because he says um, the measure. So, so with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. He's using kind of a, a phrase that they would have been familiar with. In the marketplace, you know, basically back then everything was paid for, you know, baseball was what it was. And so if something cost a lot, it weighed a lot. Was weighty. It was significant. Jesus here is saying that the weight, the weight with, he, with which you measure his words, it will be measured to you. 
What he's saying is, the significance that we give to his work, the significance that we give to Jesus, it will be measured back to us. If we are listening to him, if we are sitting at his feet, if we are giving significance to his words in our life, if we're letting his words impact the way we speak to other people, the way we spend our time, the way we spend our money, what Jesus is saying is that it will be given back to you. He will bless those efforts. When we spend time with Jesus, we say it's not in vain. That it will be measured back to you. Now, here's what Jesus is not saying. It's not saying it's easy to read this passage. So he's saying like, um, basically, if I'm a good person, he'll give it back to me. And, and that's how I enter the kingdom of God. No. Here he's not talking about, this is not how we come into a relationship with Jesus. I've already seen the sermon on that. The way we come into the kingdom, the way we come into Jesus, is not by works. It is by faith alone. However, in the context of that relationship, the degree to which we invest in Jesus, the degree to which we draw near to him, to that degree, we will enjoy his presence, his fellowship, his grace. It's the same in relationship. You, you think about your best friend. Your best friends are people with whom you've spent time with, who you've invested with, and they've invested in you. And Jesus is saying the same is true with his word. It's not like a math equation. We'll see that in a second. God's kingdom is mysterious. But what he's saying is that when we heed his word, that's not a waste of time. He uses that. It will be measured back to us. And so the invitation here is to draw near to Jesus. And, and actually the opposite is true. When we ignore his word, when we ignore conviction of sin, when we ignore the words of a faithful friend, we're not to expect that our heart will soften. It'll actually harden. And so the invitation here is to come, to come to the God who is pursuing you. And as you do that, you'll see more and more of his grace and his holiness and his pursuit of you. Jesus says, listen, the kingdom is coming. Why? Why should we listen? Some of you might be here this morning thinking, okay, that, okay, yeah, sure, we should pay attention to what Jesus says. Why? The reason is, we'll get more of this in a moment, but the reason you and I should pay attention to what Jesus says is that he is king. Jesus is a lot of things. He's our shepherd. He's our friend, our brother. But at the end of the day, he is also our king. And in his grace, he's calling us to live as if he were king, as if he really does know what's best for you and for me. He does. He knows what is best. He invites us to live as if that were true. He's coming as a light, a light that we need to pay attention to. 
We have to deal with Jesus. And here he's beckoning us to do that. He's coming like a light. He's also coming like a seed growing. Okay, verse 26, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. And then he goes on to describe the seed, the process of the seed germinating and becoming a plant and being harvested. And Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is like that. I'm not a farmer. I tried my hand at a garden or two before we had kids and a dog. Uh, but <laughs> there's a lot of mystery in this. You know, we, we know tons about how plants grow, how seeds germinate. Now, you, know, you can watch those uh, like time-lapse videos of a seed germinating. It's amazing. But at the end of the day, it's still very mysterious. Like, we know what contributes to it, but it is, it's still remarkable to look at a seed grow. And we can contribute to it. We can add water, uh, maybe artificial light, but at the end of the day, there's a lot that we cannot control. Growth is mysterious. Talk to people who make their living by farming. There's mystery. Talks about this farmer planting the seed. He goes to sleep night and day. The seed grows and doesn't know how. And Jesus is saying his kingdom is like that. His kingdom is coming, but there's, there's going to be seasons where we'll get to see that growth, where we see that, 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 that small plant coating through the soil. But there will be also seasons, like in farming, where it looks as if the field is barren. And Jesus is saying, his kingdom is coming like that. There will be times in your own heart, in your families, in your communities, in other people, where you can say, oh, thank the Lord. I am seeing the grace of God change me or change that person. I'm seeing God's gracious rule come to bear in this city. There will be other times where it may look more like a barren field or more like a tree looks in winter. You look at it and think, this looks like a place of death. You might sense that in your own heart. You, you, there might be times where you think, okay, I, I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. Gosh, it was great. I just felt the Lord's nearness and closeness. And I felt like I was reading. I was reading this verse I've read before and it came alive in new ways. And there also might be times where you're coming to God in prayer and you're reading scripture. And maybe you're even showing up to church on a Sunday morning and doing all these things you're supposed to be doing, and yet you're not feeling like it's a one-to-one. -one. It's not like this math equation that you hope, hey, I'm going to put this input, I'm going to get this output. You might feel like a psalmist. Like in Psalm 13. Wake up. Oh Lord, open up your eyes. You might be praying, wondering, like, is God there? Is he doing anything? What's going on? Is the stuff I believe true? Am I a Christian? God said, the kingdom coming is mysterious. There will be days we see it blossoming and growing. And there will be other days we don't. The encouragement from this passage is that God's kingdom coming is not dependent upon what we see and perceive. The assurance 
of this passage is that his kingdom is coming, whether we see it or not. And sometimes it's especially happening when we don't see it coming. It's coming. And it's coming without our manipulation, our intervention. And you know what? That can be very comforting in some ways, and it can be very frustrating. Because what Jesus is saying here is that God's kingdom will look sometimes like it's going to it's not. What he's also saying is that it's not always going to come on our timetable. We can't just grow a plant on the time frame that we want. You can't grow a field the way we want to. Some of you experience this landscaping. I did all the right things. I put all the right fertilizer. And then you planted something in September. And guess what? Right in this past weekend, you know, one inch, you know, for the past like two and a half months. Um, we can't control it. And God's kingdom is like that. It's not coming on our time frame. It's not coming in all the ways we expect it or want it to come. And we'll be tempted sometimes in the midst of that. We'll be tempted to say, okay, I know I should pray, but instead, I know I should speak the truth and love of this person. It would be so much easier to manipulate. It would be so much easier to slam down, to come down harshly. That will get the result I want quicker. Jesus is saying, He's at work. He's coming. What would it look like to live and act with the knowledge that Jesus is coming? That his kingdom is coming to bear? Look, I, I know even as I'm saying this, that's hard for some of us to believe because it's not like it's just been uh, a week where it's felt hard or dry. Maybe it's been a really long season months or years where you feel like, well, what are you doing? And I, I want you to know two things. One is that um, that sentiment is actually echoed in Scripture. That there will be seasons of hardship. If you look at the Psalms, you read the Psalms, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will my tears be my food day and night? And so, you have a place in Scripture to come when you feel like that. But you also have a hope. Because the reality is, is that God took the darkest thing. Put yourself in disciples' shoes. Over and over, they're probably wondering, okay, he's saying he's the king. I think I believe he's the king. I'm giving up my life to follow him. And then he gets killed. And mocked. And spit in the pot. That was the darkest day in history. Biggest miscarriage of justice ever. But it was also a hugely dark day for people that had followed. Yeah, I thought he was going to be the king. I thought he was bringing me a kingdom. And yet, it was actually in the midst of that dark day that Jesus was accomplishing the victory we needed him to accomplish as our king. And so if he can bring light out of the darkest day in history, we can trust that in the midst of your dark hours and dark days and dark years and dark decades, that he can bring light out of those. You won't always understand it. You won't always see it. And lastly, what we'll see is that it won't always look outwardly impressive. It's growing like a mustard seed. 
Verse 30, he said, what, what can we compare to the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is like the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. A grain of mustard seed is like a grain of sand. It's really small. And what Jesus is saying is that there's something beautiful happening about the kingdom of God because it's coming in obscurity. It does not look impressive, but it will grow. This grain of sand will grow to be something that is, I must plant to be about 6 to 12 feet tall. Not huge, but if you're planting a garden, probably one of the biggest things in a vegetable garden. Big, providing shade, places for birds to make their nests. Jesus is saying the kingdom's growing like that. It's growing from obscurity, and it will end in glory. It's heading towards a glorious destination. It's growing. And he uses this image of a tree providing rest and shade. And that's, that's an image you see. You see it in Ezekiel 17. You see it in Revelation 22. When God comes back to make all things new, there's this tree of life. And here Jesus is saying his kingdom is building towards that. But what's interesting though is that Jesus uses this image of a seed that's really small that grows. So he's saying the trajectory of it is amazing. But outwardly, to begin with, God's kingdom never looks hugely impressive. It starts out like, like, like a grain of mustard seed. And Jesus is, is hopefully giving hope to the people who are listening to him. So they're thinking, wow, he's saying he's the king, and he's saying he's God, and yet we're hanging out in, like, Palestine. And we don't know how big this world is, but it seems like we are pretty insignificant right now. I'm sure that thought crossed the disciples' mind. Like, man, how big he saw that kingdom is? It feels geographically very small. And Jesus said, that's true. The kingdom of God starts out like a mustard seed, but it's going to grow. It's going to grow. But here's the other thing. Jesus could have used a lot of plant metaphors. The Bible uses plenty of plants that are actually more impressive than a mustard seed. And he could have used like a cedar of Lebanon. That's a much taller, stronger, more impressive plant. And so while Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is going to grow, and it's going to be remarkable, and it is, we've seen that in history. That small band of disciples in a marginal Kind of outposts in the Roman region of Palestine. Within 300 years, they went from a persecuted sect to now changing the ethics of the world. Now, 300 years later, Rome will be a Christian kingdom. And so Jesus is saying, it's going to grow. But you know what? At the end of the day, the thing it's going to grow into, Jesus gives the example of, is a mustard plant. No one, if you were to see a mustard plant today, the word none of you will probably use is impressive. Maybe, but if you're like, really, if it's a really vibrant mustard plant, you might say, impressive. <laughs> but no, outwardly, Jesus is saying, even as it continues to grow, it's not always going to look impressive. And we need to hear that. We like things that look impressive. We want to be a part of things that look impressive. And if Jesus is saying, if you're interested in looking impressive in the eyes of this world, his kingdom is going to disappoint you. <coughs> Jesus is not interested in things that are outwardly great. 
he's interested in renovating Apocalypse. And he's going to do so through a kingdom that often looks and feels upside down, as you've all been aware of in studying the Sermon on the Mount. He's going to turn our world upside down, and it's going to grow. He won't always feel impressive, but we can trust that he is at work, even in the face of opposition. His kingdom will grow. What's really amazing is this kingdom is going to provide shade for birds. What's the biggest enemy? What's the biggest threat a uh, mustard seed probably faced early on? If, if, if the farmer is sowing seed, sure there's droughts and we can step on it. The most likely victim, the most likely prey is going to be a bird. What does Jesus say about his kingdom? That mustard seed, threatened by birds, will actually go to be a plant that will provide nest for birds. And Jesus is saying the same is true of his kingdom. When Jesus comes to bear in this world, he's going to grow in such a way that actually he will bless those who are formerly his enemies. He will provide a home for people like you and me who by nature want nothing to do with the things of God. Who by nature are his enemies. And yet he's reconciled us to himself by his blood. Jesus is saying his kingdom is like that. It's coming. We're not always going to see it. It won't always look amazing, but we can trust that it is coming. A week and a half ago, two weeks ago, uh, we had Presbytery. One or two of you were at Presbytery. And uh, there's, a, there's a portion that we were to hear from different committees about what's going on in our Presbytery. And I think one in particular, Brian Howard, who uh, works with RUF International. So he works on the campus of Hudson. Uh, but preaching specifically international students, shared about how he was meeting with an Iranian student, grad student, he came over with his wife, um, Muslim student, but had started coming to events that he was having on campus. And started coming more and more, started bringing his family. And he was gathering with this young man and his wife, his wife who was coming, but kind of more hesitant. And in this room, this man prayed to Jesus, declaring his trust in Jesus. This man who did not know Jesus, the ways of Jesus, came and actually been converted. When I went home, I remember thinking, yeah, I've been hearing more and more stories of actually Iran in particular. And there's lots of sources out there talking about Christianity growing in Iran. And so some people would say it's actually the country in which Christianity is growing the fastest. Regardless of what you think, it's probably at least top three or top five. One of the places God's kingdom is growing the fastest right now is in a country ruled by an Islamist government that is not friendly to Christianity. And I confess that that surprises me. But it shouldn't be. Because that is how our God grows. That's how his kingdom comes to bear. That's what you see in the life of Jesus. Unimpressive, rabbi, peasant-ish looking man who is actually God himself revolutionizing, revolutionizing this world. Dying for his enemies. And he is coming again 
so that you and I, in the midst of our lives, can trust that He is good. He came in obscurity, He was crucified, He is coming again. And we, who were formerly His enemies, will find rest in the shade of His tree, in a kingdom that will never again be touched by death or sin or sadness or drought. That is our hope this morning. Pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are a king who is good. Lord, we thank you that your kingdom is coming to bear. We need it to come to bear. Father, there are so many things going on in this world, things in our heart where we need your grace and your rule to come and to transform our hearts, to transform our world. And so, Lord, we ask that you do just that. Bless and keep us in prayer. In Christ's name, amen.